Hey Peacenicks, it's time for another Sunday's Psychedelic Spirit, a short podcast about spirituality, something positive to grease the wheels for the upcoming weeks as we have just entered the 2022nd year of existence. Of course, that's if we're going to ignore the other billions of years. So I was thinking about the multiple systems in our bodies when I was looking at the psychedelic spiritual artwork of Alex Gray. Check out his art on Instagram so you'll know what I'm talking about at Alex Gray Cosm, as in Cosmos, but just C-O-S-M. Alex Gray, C-O-S-M, all one word. Check out he and his wife's art. I think you'll dig it. They have a psychedelic temple or church or whatever you want to call it out in the woods in New York State. So I was thinking about the multiple systems in our bodies and how they all work with each other. And I was thinking about how we take care of these systems. I'm talking about our nervous system, our respiratory system, endocrine, skeletal, reproductive, circulatory, muscular, integumentary, human musculoskeletal, immune. Yes, I had to look up what all the systems are, and I'm not going to research and explain each one, because this isn't a science class episode, it's Sunday's Psychedelic Spirit. And my point of this one is not any of those systems mentioned. It's a system that is not considered its own system, but it's a system nonetheless, and it is a system unique to humans. This is the system of neural pathways in our brain. So a system within the nervous system and influenced by all the other systems, possibly even coming into our brain through the endocrine system, through the pineal gland. This goes back to the radio consciousness theory. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, this is the idea that our consciousness is not actually located in our brain. Imagine a primitive person discovering a radio and trying to figure out how it worked. As they unplugged wires and speakers and antenna, they would think they were beginning to understand which parts produced which sounds, not understanding that it was only picking up a radio signal, that the sound was actually coming from some other place. This is an analogy for human consciousness, as the neuroscientist is dissecting the brain and beginning to understand the different lobes and glands and neural networks and begins to piece together a hypothesis for where our conscious experience is located, they are failing to understand that our consciousness is actually coming from another place, perhaps another dimension or plane of existence. Just a theory. So anyway, I was thinking about this system that humans have that is unique, at least in its complexity, to humans. The system that we use for language. And particularly, I want to focus less on the physical act of using our language in conversations or pontifications and more on where this physical language originates, in our brains or somewhere in our consciousness. That voice in our heads. So let's start with thinking about the ways we nourish and abuse our bodily systems. Maybe we smoke cigarettes because it reacts with our nervous system signaling the release of dopamine and serotonin. 
but it is damaging to our respiratory and circulatory systems. Or we eat vegetables and exercise which boosts these systems. These are all systems that we are conscious of and think about. Calcium for our skeletal system. We can lift weights for our muscular system. Vitamin C for our immune system. But how often, if ever, and this is why I thought this would be a good Sunday spirit topic, do we think about our language system, the thoughts in our heads? What do we do to nourish this system or to abuse it? I don't think we think about the system because this system is how we think. We use it to think about taking care of other systems, to think about our plans for the day or who or what we like or dislike, but we rarely use it to think about it, like holding it in the mirror. It is this very system that separates us from the animal kingdom. This is the system that we use to give ourselves relevance through telling our story, describing our journey and our mission. And relevance also seems to be unique to the human animal. And I think it becomes a sort of chicken and the egg question. Did our need for relevance drive us to produce language? Or did language lead us to desiring relevance? It doesn't matter. Either way, we are now creatures absorbed in language. I have an exercise to prove my point. It's a meditative practice I try from time to time. Sit down and try and think about your plans and goals for the week. But do this without using language. Just imagine your plans and goals in action rather than using words to organize them. If you're like me, you will find this almost impossible. We are so tethered to language as a tool that we are almost useless without it. And it is because of this that language is so powerful, why books are so important, but also why ideas can be so destructive. It was through language and books and shared knowledge that we created life-saving medical advancements. We created flying machines and phones that we can use to talk face-to-face -face from around the globe, bringing people closer to each other. Through language, we have created music and art. And we have also seen political movements that have overthrown tyranny. But also through language and the spreading of ideas, we have seen the advent of the nuclear bomb, the Holocaust, the war on drugs. Everything good and bad that has happened around the globe started with an idea, something ruminating somewhere in a human consciousness waiting to be brought into fruition. And now, as technology snowballs, moving faster and faster, and the internet continues to have more and more information, it is more important than ever that we stop and look at our language systems. Are we nourishing or abusing ourselves? Let's start with taking a look at how this language system affects our physical bodies, how it affects our other bodily systems. I read a story about a man who was given some sort of medication in a study trial and in a suicide attempt decided to consume the entire bottle. Then having a change of heart, he ran to the emergency room to 
declare he was dying from an overdose. His blood pressure was through the roof. The hospital contacted the doctor overseeing the drug trial to find out that this particular patient was in the control group that had been given a placebo. Once told this, the patient's blood pressure returned to normal and what was essentially a panic attack came to an end. So the pills this guy ingested turned out to be completely benign. This entire episode, which included a dangerous blood pressure level, had been entirely caused by a story he told himself by his language system. And the lowering of his blood pressure and return to normal was also based on the story the doctor told him about what he had in fact ingested. Another story I read about, a seemingly healthy man went to have a checkup at the doctor and found out he had stage four cancer and was given only a few months to live. Soon after his diagnosis, he became extremely ill and a few months later he died. When his body was examined, it was discovered he did not have cancer and that he had been misdiagnosed. This man, a rare and unusual occurrence for sure, talked himself into death by believing a story that turned out to be fiction. Words have ruined nations and built empires. The reason we have a control group that has given a placebo in the first place is that a small percentage of people will heal themselves simply by believing they took a cure. They will talk themselves into healing. So a double-blind has to prove the medication heals more people than will heal themselves to prevent bogus medications from being peddled as cures. Most people recognize and understand the level of power that builds nations and destroys empires, you know, through language and stories and ideas. But few know the stories of individuals and the power and destruction they can cause to our own lives personally by telling them inside our own minds. And as we are only a single cog in a machine with billions of other cogs, it's hard to imagine changing the direction of a political movement or war machine. But it all starts inside each and every one of us. And whether or not making positive changes to our own language systems will change the course of history isn't worth thinking about. Because it will, without a doubt, change the course of yours. And the more people that make this positive change, the more influence it will have on the collective. We must start with ourselves. So how do we nourish rather than abuse our language system? Let's start with considering how we take care of our physical bodies. If we eat too many calories, we will store the extra fat which puts more work on our circulatory system. If we run and burn the extra fat, it relieves the extra work and it exercises and strengthens the muscular and respiratory and cardiovascular systems. Eating healthy foods, like ones that contain tryptophan, like pumpkin seeds, that our endocrine system can use to make the neurotransmitter serotonin, which is vital for our nervous system. Also, if I'm slightly off on these systems and what they exactly do, I apologize. Not a scientist by any means, just a dude with a smartphone that did a small amount of research on Google. But you get my point. It's about getting our systems exercise and nourishing them with healthy fuels while avoiding unhealthy lifestyles, habits, and foods. So how do we apply this to our language system? 
which is essentially our mind, our thought patterns. It's where we are individuals with a story. How do we properly exercise this system? I like to think about our thoughts on a treadmill or a hamster wheel. No matter how many different things we think about every day, we have a lot of recurring themes and a lot of specific stories and ideas that replay exactly the same way every so often. So ways we can exercise this language is to first pay attention to recurring themes, stories, and ideas. Are they positive or negative? Or maybe it's something you are thinking that seems like a positive idea, but hiding in plain sight is a clearly negative story. Take this thought for instance. I am really out of shape and should really lose some weight. I'm going to start working out. Seems positive in a lot of ways. Self-evaluation with a plan to become more healthy. The problem is that this thought starts with the negative story you are telling yourself. Whether or not it may be true, it's negative. And pointing out negative things about yourself isn't a great way to motivate you to do better. A better story to tell yourself would be, I am really feeling motivated. I am strong and beautiful and ready to make some positive life changes. I'm going to start with working out. This thought completely leaves out calling you overweight and out of shape, but still sets in motion a plan for improvement. Only this positive message will be more likely to put you in the mood to actually carry out the plan. So this is a great way to exercise your language system. It's a form of meditation, paying attention to your thoughts as an observer. Decide if they are positive or negative and change them or try and remove them completely. A thought like, oh my God, look at what she is wearing. She looks like a freak. Ask yourself, why did I just think that? Why should I care how she chooses to present herself? As you begin to exercise your thoughts this way, you'll notice some interesting patterns. And this brings us to how we nourish our language system. It's all about what we intake. And once you start paying attention to your thoughts, you may even start to notice where the thoughts originated. You may find your negative opinion on someone else's clothes actually comes from an opinion a character on a favorite television show would have had. Or maybe it would have been a parent or a sibling or friend's opinion. Most negative opinions don't come organically. No one is born with these constructs. They are all learned. They reflect what we input into our minds and they also reflect the opinions we have about ourselves. So how do we feed our language systems healthy snacks and avoid unhealthy snacks? These are not easy things to do. Feeding our language systems with healthy things would be reading instead of watching television. However, the other night I watched a mushroom documentary on Netflix and learned from it and grew from it and I felt great watching it. I think that was a positive snack. Reading the gossip column or a hateful manifesto would be negative. I think if you're honest with yourself, you know whether or not what you're watching or reading is positive or negative. Be careful though. We are extremely rational creatures and we can rationalize almost anything. And it's easy to use this tool to fool yourself. One clue to investigate is whether or not you had to stop and ask yourself 
if it's positive or negative. If you have to ask, you probably already know the answer. Hey, is me sitting here watching CNN or MSNBC or Fox News healthy or unhealthy? You look at Rachel Maddow as she's telling you things to be afraid of, or Tucker Carlson telling you what you should be angry about. The information doesn't seem positive, though you agree with what they're saying, because if you're like most Americans, you choose the news that tends to agree with you politically. And because of this, you are sucked into that echo chamber, and though you had to ask if this was negative, because it sure feels that way, you don't want to change the channel, so you decide, no, it's the news. I need to be informed, so this can't be negative. And you keep watching. If you're watching Fox, change it to MSNBC and see if watching the news still feels positive, and vice versa. That's why I like NPR, because it's boring. The news is supposed to be boring. If you're conservative, you probably disagreed out loud with me about NPR, which is often criticized for being too liberal. I don't know what the boring conservative equivalent would be, but find it. The news should not turn you on in any way other than maybe empathy for someone. Anyway, point is, try and consider what information you are pumping into your thought machine. Try and exercise and train the flow of language, that voice inside your head to be more positive. And this should translate naturally to your spoken voice. And also, do this practice when you're in conversations or pontificating or gossiping. Try only saying positive things. It might be hard at first. So many things seem harmless. It may not even cause much harm, if any, on the surface. Like telling a mutual friend of someone that you saw them hammered the other night or I heard she was sick and didn't get tested for COVID. Is she vaxxed? I think she's an anti-vaxxer. You may find yourself justifying this talk because it's about the health of society and blah, blah, blah. But let's face it, you're talking shit and it feels good. We are a hierarchical species and putting someone down is to step on them, placing you above them. Problem is, it only does this in your imagination. In reality, you are at the very least sinking to their level, if not beneath them entirely. We are a species very similar in sharing 99% of the chimpanzee's DNA. They too have a hierarchical system. The chimp on the highest branch is head of the group. We do this on a much larger and more complex scale, but we have something the chimps don't have, this unique system of language. And we can use this to rise above our animal tendencies. We don't have to be so hierarchical. We can be more egalitarian. We have moved from hunting and gathering to agriculture to industry into a surplus of food enough to feed every person on the planet. This constant battle for supremacy is old and tiresome and should be looked at as an antiquated tradition leftover baggage from the jungle that we no longer need. And I know I'm always talking about trying to bring us back to the jungle, back to nature, and I use psychedelics to try and get more in touch with nature through the understanding that I myself am a part of nature. But this in no way means I think we should go back to our most basic animal instincts. A lot of the survival instincts evolved in us because as small tribes of hunters and gatherers, 
they were needed for the survival of our species. Most of them, like the once very rational fear that a neighboring tribesman might come in the night and remove your scalp or rape you or a loved one, is mostly not a rational fear anymore. Though these sort of people do still exist, it is no longer a survival necessity to attack and kill and rape, and so it's only now a small number of mentally unwell people who do these things. But if you watch the news, you will begin to see those old world fears as rational still in the 21st century. Because the news finds any and all of these stories, and when you turn on the news, the billions of people who were not raped and murdered are not mentioned. All you see are stories of people who were. This is because a for-profit news station that sells an audience to advertisers works in the currencies of eyeballs on their screen. If the world is on fire, you have an instinctual desire to pay close attention because it might just save your life. If they say there is a fire in one region, it's not yours. And mostly today is a great, safe, and wonderful day and time to be alive. Then you could turn off the TV and go out and enjoy yourself. But that isn't good. It's not in their best interest. So they go with the whole world's burning vibe, preying on your innate fears. First step to beating this is by doing exactly what I'm saying. Start paying attention to the things you read and watch on TV, to the people you surround yourself with and the negative or positive things they say. And also, this is very important, to the voice inside your own head. Take care of your language system. I think, therefore, I am what I think. In order to do these things, it will be extremely helpful to be present, to be here, now. If you're stuck in the past, worried about something you said to someone at a party or something you messed up at work, or if you're worried about the future, usually they go together. What might that person who I said that thing at that party be telling other people? Will this lead to some sort of confrontation? Or am I going to get fired? If we are stuck in the past and future, then it will be easier for a news anchor or politician or acquaintance to manipulate us. If we are fully present, it will be much easier to see through it. My recommendation? Because spending all day every day trying to be super cautious of what you watch and read and who you talk to and whether every thought you have is positive or negative will be overwhelming and lead to the abandonment of the entire practice. I recommend setting a daily intention to try and think and stay positive and an intention to be in the moment and then meditate. A daily meditation will put you in a better mindset and the nourishing and positive training of your language system, your egoic mind, will begin naturally on its own. Sit in a quiet place and detach yourself from your thoughts. That incessant voice will still talk, at least until you get deeper into your practice. And that's okay. Let it talk, but try and be present and separate from it. Be the consciousness that the voice is talking to not the conscious voice that talks. A popular way to do this is to focus only on your breath. If you want to, you can say the words in and out. 
as you breathe. Understand deeply and without language that each breath is a reminder that we are not alone and cannot survive on our own and have never been completely individual. We are always connected to the earth, its atmosphere, the food it provides us, and water, and everything we've ever touched or felt. In. Out. In. Out. I sometimes like to do a guided meditation. I'm going to end this Sunday psychedelic spirit with a music-guided meditation. In fact, the music that's been playing in the background this entire episode is going to be the music for the meditation. The music is going to create a three-dimensional cube. Each bar will have four notes, one second each, creating a four-second, four-sided square. Every two bars will create a cube. And for every two bars, we will breathe in or out. Eight seconds in, eight seconds out. The first two bars will be one instrument, only a bell, ringing one note, establishing the key and ringing one time by itself for every point of the cube. Every two bars, a new instrument will be added until there are eight instruments, which will hang for four bars. Then there will be one less instrument every two bars until we release our last breath to just the bell again, creating a total of 16 breaths. And in your mind's eye, Follow the cube. Release your breath, and when the bell starts, begin inhaling long and slow. Follow the bubbling bong on the inhale, and follow me on my exhale. So we're going to end with this meditation. It's eight second breaths in, eight second breaths out. Thank you for listening. I love you. Now let's start this meditation with a deep breath in. And out.
Thanks for listening to the Sunday Psychedelic Spirit on the Peace on Drugs podcast. I hope you have a great month, week, year, life. Peace out.